Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Exciting week uh, to talk about USC football because there's actually football to talk about. We're going to talk about the announcement from the Pac-12 over the weekend uh, about the Trojans' football schedule opening up at 9 a.m. on November 7th against Arizona State. So we're going to talk to the Coach Harvey Hyde about all that. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com as always you can send us an email podcast at uscfootball.com or send us a voicemail or a text message 424-254-9141 that's always great but we'd really love to hear from you on the apple podcasting review page so if you have an apple device an iphone a a mac whatever go to apple Podcasts, um, peristyle podcast and leave us a five-star review that really does help Grow the show. If you have a question for us, we'll put you right at the top of the list. Put your question on the Apple Podcasting uh, review area. So we'd love to hear from you there. And let's welcome in the coach, Harvey Hyde. Great to talk some USC football again with you, coach. How are you? I'm doing great, buddy. I've taped my ankles. I'm ready for a good podcast this morning. There's more to talk about. There's always something happening at USC and around college football, especially this year. So why don't we get started and form a huddle and Ready, break. We got to huddle up and buckle up. And just to let everyone know, here is the official schedule for USC Trojan Football 2020. This is 3.0 uh, from the Pac-12, and it came out uh, over the weekend. Week 1, November 7th, the Trojans will be hosting the Arizona State Sun Devils, the two top returning quarterbacks in the conference, a 9 a.m. game on uh, Fox, big noon kickoff. So that'll be interesting. Uh, week 2, November 14th. Uh, the Trojans will go on the road to Tucson, take on the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, week three, uh, November 21st, USC will also be on the road uh, defending Pac-12 South champion Utah Utes. So two road games uh, in a row for the Trojans. And week four, back home in the Coliseum hosting the Colorado Buffaloes. Week five, the crossover game, a game that was not originally on the schedule for USC uh, the Washington State Cougars, that's going to be on a Friday night, December 4th. So was not scheduled to play Washington State from the north. That's going to be the crossover game. USC needed a home game, and the Cougars will be coming to the Coliseum. Closing out the six-game schedule, week six, December 12th, the only Pac-12 rivalry, rivalry game that will be played on a Saturday, USC in the Rose Bowl, taking on UCLA. And of course, week seven will be December 18th and 19th. That's championship week. If the Trojans are the top team in the South, they'll play on December 18th. Otherwise, they'll play on the 19th for an opponent to be determined. That's the limited schedule. We know the six games. We know all the games will be on either Fox or ESPN for the Tier 1 group. So helping the Pac-12 with their Tier 1 television money, which is good for all of the programs. Wrapping that all up, that's where USC will be. They'll try to go 6-0 and head into the championship week and win the Pac-12. So, Coach, I want to get your thoughts overall on the 2020 football schedule for USC. Well, uh, looking at it, the Pac-12 certainly uh, followed a smart decision on how to make their schedules. They uh, did set it up, and USC was the favorite to in preseason magazines and everybody's thoughts to be the favorite of the South. Oregon is the favorite of the North. So, obviously, uh, Washington State took Oregon's place so that uh, these two could possibly uh, meet up uh, 6-0 and on December the 18th for a championship game, and that will give them uh, a higher uh, rating, more money as far as being in the championship game, great uh, television time and all of the above, and they're sort of laying it on uh, the uh, Trojans in their opening game against Arizona State, and the reason they did that was uh, Arizona State is probably the second favor, I'm assuming, in the Pac-12. So if Arizona State is to beat the Trojans and Arizona State has a chance to run the table, and also then they would have be in the same type of position and play Oregon if Oregon wins the North, and I assume they will. I think the North is down. I think the South is stronger. 
uh, in that championship game. So I think it was smart scheduling, and <clears throat> I think that uh, politically it's probably not correct. I think UCLA got the, the brunt of the schedule. We can talk about that if you want, but it's all about money. And when people say it isn't about money, they're wrong, Ryan. It's all about money. And the way I understand it, too, there will not be now, correct me if I'm wrong, a single Pac-12 network game this year. Maybe replays, but I don't think the Pac-12 network will have a game. I think all the games will be played on Friday and Saturday night at unique times. We could talk about that and what I think about the times to get national coverage where they need to reestablish themselves. And remember, they're going to be six weeks behind all the other conferences. Uh, SMU is already 4-0. Other teams are 3-0. and So they're going to be way behind and need to make an impact on college football. So that's the way I feel about USC as far as UCLA is concerned. UCLA's got Arizona State, and of course they've got USC, the two top favorites of the South. Then they pick up Oregon. Then they got Utah, Colorado, and Arizona. So as far as the Bruins are concerned, I think they got a raw deal. Yeah, that's it. so a lot to unpack there, Coach. We can start with let's start with those crossover games. Um, I went and tried to predict the schedule early on. The Pac-12 sort of threw a little bit of a curveball by putting teams on the schedule that weren't part of the 2.0 schedule. So the 2.0 schedule, they tried to keep uh, any cross-division games uh, the same, and they ended up kind of throwing that out and starting fresh uh, for this one. So, you know, for example, USC didn't have Washington State on schedule. Like we said, that, that'll that be the crossover game on a Friday night. Only one Friday game for USC. All the rivalry games, which are funny. So you have the Territorial Cup. Uh, in week six between Arizona State and Arizona, that's on a Friday. Um, for week four, where the rest of the rivalry games are, the big you know big game, Stanford Cal on a Friday, uh, the Civil War, Oregon Oregon State on a Friday, and the Apple Cup also on a Friday. Washington Washington State, USC UCLA week six. That's the only Saturday rivalry game, so that'll be kind of interesting. Uh, but the crossover ones. It seems like what they were doing was let's try to make it as easy as possible for the favorites in each division. And I think they did that except in one case. So for USC, they get, you know, Washington State, new new head coach, you know, new system, all that kind of stuff. Washington State comes into the Coliseum. Oregon, uh, another, you know, another favorite, obviously. Uh, UCLA has to go to Oregon. Normally, you know, typically USC was supposed to go there. That's not going to happen anymore. I think they just wanted to avoid USC and Oregon playing because they're going to be uh, the favorites. Oregon State, you know, I think they're an up-and-coming team, but they're going to go to Utah, you know, the team that won the Pac-12 South the last two years in a row. Arizona, not been good. Coach on the hot seat. They're going to go to Washington. Obviously, uh, you know, another contender there. The weird two for me, Coach, is Colorado, you know, cellar-dweller in the South, Going to Stanford, who they've been really on the decline. So Stanford's getting a little extra credit here, being able to host a, you know, a weaker crossover opponent. And Cal and Arizona State. Cal, definitely one of the favorites in the North. Um, they're going to have to travel on the road to Arizona State, one of the favorites in the South. So I thought you could have swapped those two in some way. But that was the one crossover game coach that maybe didn't do the Pac-12 any favors. Well, they're trying to get a win for these teams, right? you got to look at this. The Pac-12 has six bowl games that it has to fill, and they only got seven games. Now, what bowl game is going to want to take a team with a team that's two and four or two and five or three and four or whatever? So you've got to give uh, some teams an opportunity to win so that they're attractive as far as TV ratings and people working around and they're going to receive money for them. So there's a lot of thought in these schedules as far as who's playing where, where people can get wins to make it a, a valuable product. So you've got to go way back from the very beginning of when they put this all together. And remember, the bigger games they get, and the bigger bowl games they get, the more revenue that is generated. So they've got to make it, make it attractive to somebody because if you're a bowl representative – and already three bowls have dropped their bowls, as you know. The Hawaii's dropped their bowl, and the Bahamas dropped their bowl, and San Francisco dropped their bowl. So we're down now to 38 bowls. You've got to have enough teams that will 
fill these bowls, and uh, who wants to take a team that really didn't have a somewhat of a, a good record? And when you only play seven games, it's very difficult to have a great record. So you've got to do a lot of smart scheduling to make it available for bowl representatives who want to take a team. So I think, uh, and I'm not quite sure what the Holiday Bowl is going to do or where they're going to play. Are they going to come up and play at uh, the old Home Depot or what? Because they're renovating or tearing down uh, the, the stadium in San Diego. So there's a lot of shifts. San Diego State is going to be playing there at the old Home Depot this year for the next three years. So there's a lot of things happening, and you try to get all the revenue you can. You're not going to have any attendance. So you've got to do what you have to do regarding the game times and everything else and scheduling. And they took a lot of thought and they did a lot of thinking about how they could give a product to television and bowls a team that would represent their bowl game as well as national television. Yeah, I think national television is a big part of this. Uh, Not having any games on the Pac-12 network, like you mentioned. Uh, I think the Tier 1 group of games for a full season was about 45 games on Fox and ESPN. And this way you put all 36 on that group. So you get as many of those tier one games as possible. And that $275 million uh, revenue, uh, you know, from the tier one games, you get as much of that as you can. I think you abandon the Pac-12 network because it doesn't make any money, which is fine. They might have some games championship weekend on Pac-12 network. We don't know yet that yet, but I like what they did coach here. Like get all the games on the, you know, the, the networks that you have to put them on. I don't mind. We'll get to the 9 a.m. game in a second, but I don't mind that either. But do whatever you can to kind of get them, uh, you know, get as much money as you possibly can for a shortened uh, season. You're exactly right. And you remember a couple months ago when we were back in the spring and we were getting a lot of changes, I made a, a uh, mention several times on this and other shows that there's going to be a lot of changes in the Pac-12 and college football. I think the Pac-12 network goes away. I mean, uh, with, the, with the amount of uh, rent you pay and the staff and everything in your location, and I think that goes away, and I think there's going to be an attempt now to work out uh, in a relationship with these other networks so that the Pac-12 can join uh, the national scene again to build up its reputation. And it's dropped down. It's had some problems, and that's because of games being played at 1230 at night back on the East Coast. In fact, the Pac-12 wasn't even making the deadlines of the newspapers. So the people back East or in the Midwest didn't even know who won the games. So I think this is smart as far as getting a national presence. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot more other changes that we can talk about, you know, at another time. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, like I said, putting, you know, 36 uh, games on their Tier 1 um, schedule, I mean, obviously that brings in a bunch of revenue for the conference. That's good. Uh, you know, some Friday games, um, which, you know, I don't mind. I don't like that all those rivalry games are on a Friday, but some of them are usually on Fridays anyway. But the uh, the 9 a.m. game, and so this was the first announcement we got if you were watching Saturday morning on uh, the, the Fox pregame show, they had this exclusive announcement that they would be showing USC Arizona State in the Coliseum, and it would be their Fox, you know, uh, you know the the big the big noon kickoff game, and that's their what they've been marketing at the nine a.m. game on the West Coast, but it's noon on the East Coast, and they've sort of been, that's been Fox's way to compete with ESPN, where typically the nine a.m. on the West Coast noon uh, television window, what great games you get like Iowa Purdue or something like that. Well, Fox is trying to put a premier game in that slot, and it's hard to do that on the West Coast because. That means you're playing at 9 a.m. There was rumors about this happening last year. Now it is happening. USC, Arizona State coming out of the gate, 9 a.m. in the Coliseum. It's a lot easier when you're 2020 and everything's crazy anyway. And there's not going to be any fans. So you're not going to have any fans saying, I can't, you know, how am I going to tailgate and stuff like that? Because there is no tailgating. There's no fans in the stands. So if you're going to try it, I think this is the good time to try it. And it's, you know, being delayed, like you said, Coach, Two weeks with the Big Ten and the Mountain West playing and no Pac-12. You got to jump out of the gate with a, with a little bit of fire. And I think this is a way to do that. But what are your thoughts on uh, USC starting off the season with this 9 a.m. game? Well, I think it's a highlight game of the uh, Pac-12. And I think it's great. I mean, you've got the Fox uh, game day show there with Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, Urban Meyer. It can't be any bigger than that. 
You've got a 9 o'clock kickoff, which means it's noon uh, across the country. You've got a talented team at, uh, and a big-name coach from Arizona State, Herm Edwards. You've got a great quarterback, uh, Daniels, from uh, uh, Arizona State, plus Keaton Sol- uh, uh, Solich from USC. You can really build this up and make it a big uh, to-do, and I think it's great. I really think it's important, though, the way USC approaches its preparation for this game, because Arizona State is already practicing. They bring a whole different type of offense. Arizona State has a new offense and defensive coordinator. So I think that's going to be very important as far as what they do and what they're going to do against them. And they got a very athletic quarterback, which runs the football, and USC has had problems against quarterbacks like that. So, And they're going to be behind as far as practice time and everything else. So I think it's very important on how they prepare for the Arizona State game. And I think it's great. I think it's great to do this. As you mentioned, no fans. Uh, but the preparation for this game is what the planning is. As far as getting your team ready to play at 9 a.m. Now, Herm Edwards works uh, out his team every morning, so they are on the practice field at 6 or 7 in the morning. So that isn't going to make any difference to them. But USC, as far as them determining what time they're going to practice, if I'm Clay Helton, 10 days before, 10 days or 8 days before the ASU game, I'm going on the field at 7 or 8 in the morning, practicing around 9 o'clock as far as kickoff time is concerned. I'm not concerned as far as the classes. There are no classes. All the, uh, the classes can be taped as far as the Zooms. They have an academic department that can do all of that. And you get your team ready because your body has to become cu- accustomed. You can't be waking up and yawning because there's no crowd in the Coliseum. When you walk in there, it's empty. So you've got to be able to get ready, be ready to go. And you start that by training your kids. And you've heard me talk about this a hundred times on all my shows with nutritionists and doctors, and they all say I'm right. The body forms habits. What time it gets hungry, what time it wants to go to sleep. So you got to be awake and ready to go at 9 a.m. on November the 7th. So you've got to be able to prepare that, prepare for that, and the next week you don't know what time your game is. It could be an evening game, an afternoon game, or another morning game. So you've got to be able to adjust on Sunday at what time you're going to practice for your next game to help your student-athletes athletes prepare for their maximum effort. Yeah, that's going to be uh, an interesting week of preparation going into this. I mean, obviously, it's it's different preparation anyway, right, Coach? Um, but if you have a 9 a.m. game, or if you weren't normally doing early morning practices, are you switching to that? Like, How much do you switch up that last week, or even all of fall camp, knowing that's going to be your opener? No, I wouldn't do all of fall camp because uh, you don't need all of fall camp in the morning. But you do do need to do it at least eight days to nine days before your first game as far as getting your uh, rhythm of your body, getting used to the routines as far as eating and everything you do with it. So for a maximum effort at, at 9 a.m. And I'd let my team know and coaches know that we have to adjust to this. Because at least it's not two uh, back-to-back Friday games. You can play a Saturday game, and then you got to come back and play on a Friday game, which doesn't give you a lot of time. But you do have a lot of time that Sunday after the game or Saturday night after the game, you say, guys, practice next week is at 2, or practice next week is at 3, or practice next week is at 4, or whatever. But you have that flexibility. So why not take advantage of it so your body's ready to play football at the time that it's ready to play? So if it's a 6 o'clock game, you're practicing as close to 6 as you can. So I think that's something you really have to look at, and I think it's easily to be able to organize. Yeah, what? Um, looking at the schedule, Coach, it's obviously short. I mean, you're only playing the Pac-12 South plus Washington State. I mean, a lot of winnable games here. I mean, I don't think Arizona's going to be very good. I don't think Colorado's going to be very good. Um, I don't think Washington State's going to be all that great. You know, UCLA hasn't been – Awesome. I mean, you're looking at the schedule like, okay, Arizona State, that could be tough. Utah on the road, that could be tough. Uh, I mean, what are your expectations for this season? I mean, I we'll talk about Arizona State in a second. I, I think I'd prefer to see that game later in the season. But with, the, with just with those six games, I mean, it's 6-0 and unreasonable. If they can get by Arizona State, and that's why it's set up like that. Because Arizona State has the same type of schedule USC does. It's a crucial game, the opening game, but they want an undefeated team in the championship game. Arizona State can go undefeated too. 
So it's very, very important that uh, the Trojans are ready to play and then don't sit back and uh, talk about the next game and think about that you're going to win the next game because how you won your first game. You can't afford to lose one game, okay? You're done. You're finished. So they've got to understand that, and they've got to practice at that tempo. Hell, they're not tired. Other teams are halfway through their season. So they've got to get ready to play and uh, and win every single game if they possibly can. And I think there'd be a lot of pressure on USC if they don't win every single game. Everything's been put in their position to do that. They've got a lot of starters returning. They've got the best schedule as far as to do. Yeah, you've got to be able to beat Utah. Yeah, Utah's tough to win, but you've got to be able to beat them. And yeah, they've got some transfers, four-year transfers, to come in and take the place of some of the players that they lost, like Moss and those running backs and their quarterback and so on. Yeah, they got the players they got to replace. But you got returning players, okay? You got returning players that have been in the offense and the defense and they know what you're supposed to do. Yes, you've got some new coaches, but everybody's got some new coaches. But you may have better players. So put your players in a position where they can be successful and you can win. So I'm saying that they've got everything going for them. They've just got to make sure they take advantage of everything and utilize everything that they have to make sure that they can shoot their goals for winning one game at a time and then possibly ending up 6-0. Yeah, it's at this point, Coach, the expectations have to be high. USC has the most talented roster. Um, there's no reason not to go 6-0. and But it's a tough start, and I wanted to ask you, about Arizona State. I talked to some colleagues there and because of the regional health restrictions in California, USC was very limited up until last week, could not work out uh, in groups of more than 12 and it had to be the same group. So there was really a lot of limitations you could do as far as, you know, kind of doing your football workouts on the field. Um, They weren't even allowed to lift indoors and that was lifted a couple of weeks ago for Arizona State. Now, the NCAA said normally over the summer, you couldn't have, you would have like eight hours uh, a week during the weeks you could work, you know, work out with your players because there was no spring football. They bumped it up to 20. So that was basically like what you would get during the season. And the people I talked to at Arizona state said, because they didn't have the local restrictions that some other programs did, they were utilizing it to their fullest. They were using the 20 hours a week where you're working out, doing skill work, drills, things like that, but full 11-on-11 drills. And that the Sun Devils have a new offensive coordinator and new defensive coordinator. So you have new systems. Getting those players on the field, to me, in these 11-on-11 situations was going to be a big benefit if you're going to incorporate new systems. Now, they're not tackling. It wasn't like full-on practices, but the way it was described to me was sort of like those Thursday practices before you would go into a game where there was more walkthrough kind of stuff. They can't even really do thud, but they can get out there and, and be physical and you know run like 75%, 80% speed of what you would normally do. Um, they got a lot of that. And the people I talked to at Arizona State Coach said they got more work in the, this offseason than they would in a normal offseason because of the rule change, and they took advantage of that. I've talked to some people at USC and they're sort of downplaying it. My thought was it'd be better to play Arizona state later in the season when USC kind of gets ramped up because no one is prepared more in this weird off season in the PAC 12 than Arizona state. So am I making too big of a deal out of that? What do you feel coach that, that sort of advantage that uh, the sun devils could have had by having, you know, full teams out on the practice field where, USC, UCLA, Cal, a lot of the other teams, especially you know, California, Oregon teams, were only allowed to gather in small groups. Well, you know, obviously it's a benefit to them. But again, you can't make a big thing to do about that because as I was talking about earlier, Ryan, you've got to take advantage of what you can do and what you can't do. And right now the Trojans have got to get ready to do under the rules and regulations. So we'll play Arizona State. We can't move the game. The game is scheduled, so you've got to go with it. They're opening uh, the seventh, so get ready to play on the seventh. And you got to understand exactly what this game means. So it'll come down to remember uh, uh, who executes the best, who tackles the best. And I'd work a very, very physical fall, uh, what I want to call it, a fall camp. What kind of camp is it? Probably a fall camp uh, as far as getting my timing down and so on. Because 
as I watch college football, the number one thing I notice is the physicalness of the offensive line and the moving of the offensive line not being as sharp as it should be. And USC is going to really have to protect Kendall because of the lack of depth. And also the tackling on the defensive side, if you notice, has been a lot of high-scoring football games because there hadn't been a lot of physical contact, and it's difficult to tackle a live target when you haven't been tackling a live target. So USC's got to have some scrimmages, full scrimmages, for three weeks on a Saturday or during the week, a lot of live work with the offensive and defensive line during the regular week. You don't have to be in pads to go live with linemen. You can wear helmets and shoulder pads and do live rush and stay up on blocking and everything else to get themselves and make up for that time. And you can't really talk about it because you can't feel or put yourself in a disadvantage or all of a sudden you feel you don't have a chance. So my feeling is it is what it is. And you've got to go out there and play a football game on the 7th and know what it's all about and can't talk about anything else. And I'd get my team ready to do that. And, you know, you've heard me talk about these things before. Things you can't change, you don't talk about or worry about. Things you have control of, that's what you better do. Yeah. All right, a few more notes on the schedule, and we'll uh, take a quick break and get your questions. So uh, the Fox uh, Big Noon Kickoff pregame show has Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, Brady Quinn on it, Urban Meyer, Rob Stone. So they're going to be broadcasting live from the Coliseum starting at 7 a.m. Pacific. So that'll be interesting. If you remember the last time they broadcast there, USC had the big upset over Utah with uh, Matt Fink. Uh, at the quarter, at the you know, at the running quarterback uh, for that game, uh, it'll be the earliest kickoff time since at least they kept track back in the fifties. Um, they had a home game against Loyola in eighteen ninety one, way back when, and it was like nine thirty in the morning. Um, the first pre noon kickoff game was uh, eleven a.m. home start against Utah State in two thousand sixteen. Uh, it's also the latest USC started a season since nineteen eighteen. Um, that's when they opened against Stanford on November 23rd because of the, uh, that was the Spanish flu. The, uh, so that was another pandemic. The last time something like that, um, happened, like we said, no fans, uh, until 2021 at the earliest, uh, it'll be the fewest regular season games USC's played since 1920. And that, the USC went six and oh, uh, that year it's the fewest home games since only playing two back in 1910. Um, so that was interesting. And then, uh, it'll be the first time that USC plays a regular season schedule only comprised of conference opponents. And the last time they opened the season against a conference opponent was back in 1994 against Washington. So, uh, some crazy stuff there. Definitely unprecedented times, right coach? I mean, just, we don't, we, you know, we haven't seen anything like this. Uh, but now they're going to go forward and they, they have a schedule. So any, any thoughts on those notes I was uh, sharing with you? Yes, uh, I do want to make a comment. You can just imagine, you know, you talk about going to bowl games and you get the extra 15 days of practice and so on and how everybody loves to go to a bowl game because you're able to get more reps with your players and so on and they grow up and they get bigger, stronger, and faster and understand your offense and defense. Imagine the Southeastern Conference and the ACC. They're playing 12 games, 11 games. Can you imagine how better their players are prepared as far as their younger players and older players, as far as for the football season, if there's a bowl game, and let's say at the Las Vegas Bowl, the uh, Pac-12 uh, sends a representative to the Las Vegas Bowl and plays a team that's played 11 games or 12 games, and they played seven games. The advantage in conditioning and execution, you're talking about what Arizona State is ahead as far as the Pac-12 is concerned. Look at the rest of the teams and the preparation that they've had and reps it's a good thing that uh, USC isn't playing Notre Dame. It really is a good thing because Notre Dame's already 2-0 and and had two weeks off and had a scrimmage on Saturday. How many games would they have played when they played Notre Dame? Uh, Notre Dame maybe had four or five games, and SC might have had one or two. So look at the advantages there. Other football programs are getting nationally around the country as far as advantages over the programs that have not started, the other conference that have not started. This is why I go back to saying you always talk about keeping everything the same. Well, without a leader of college football, and you heard me talk about this two months ago before everybody else started to talk about it, with everybody being on the same page, hey, other conferences and other schools have advantages. 
over the Pac-12 and the Mountain West Conference and the Mid-American. Let's face it, they really do. So you can't go back and worry about what Arizona State is doing. You better worry about what the nation is doing as far as college football. Yeah. Uh, hey, real quick, just some breaking news as we're recording this. Um, Arizona co- coach Kevin Sumlin tested positive for COVID. So he's going to be in self-isolation. They're doing their contact tracing, and uh, he hasn't experienced any symptoms. So he was he put out a statement. He was a little shocked. He's going to continue doing things virtually. He said, I'm feeling well, and we'll be engaged in our ramp-up activities on a virtual basis until I complete the isolation protocol. I look forward to being back on the field. Um, how crazy is that, Coach? One of USC's opponents, and the coach tests positive. Well, I don't think it looks good. I'm being honest with you. I think that uh, your leader should set an example and try to be as as careful as possible. Now they have to follow back and see where his contact was. If nobody else is positive on the football program and their contact he's had within the football program, then you know it's been outside the football program. So I don't want to get involved in that, but I don't think that type of example sets well with your team. No, um, definitely. Wow. it's uh, That's something. Um, that's a little different. So we haven't even – we're still, you know – more than a month away and uh, something like that happens, but we'll, we'll keep you updated on what's going on there. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and answer some questions. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire, 2022.org. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Coach, we got some voicemails. I'm going to play this one for you and uh, get your thoughts. We got our buddy Curtis calling back. Here we go. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. Special shout out to Coach Harvey High and Stephen Carr's mom. Shonda, who both on Twitter showed me enough love to come out of the basement and to come back into the peristyle. Coach Hyde, this is about Arizona State. How do you propose we contain their dual-threat quarterbacks with this new defense and defensive coaches? Because our last defense really tore up Utah's quarterback, who had the fastest 40 time at the combine because Jalen Hurts didn't run. But we did a good job containing him last year, really roughing him up, even got a safety on him. And that was with Clancy's defense. What do you expect with our new defense, Curtis from Moreno Valley? 
Well, I don't really know uh, what to expect, uh, but I'll tell you what, Coach Orlando has faced a lot of this type of uh, quarterbacking from Oklahoma over the last two or three years when they played Oklahoma. I think they had, what, two Heisman Trophy winners uh, that he faced that uh, ran this type of offense, uh, option type of offense, very athletic. So I think he's had a great uh, experience of facing that type of, of quarterback, especially in the the Big 12, they play a lot of open, athletic type of quarterbacks. So I think he'll have a game plan to put together. How he'll do that, it's a very difficult thing to do. But you have a balanced offense when you have an athletic quarterback and one running back because you're playing a 11 against 11. At USC, they play 11 against 12 because their quarterback is not a threat as far as running. They don't even follow through with the fake or run option. And if you watch Sam Darnold run, Man, I'll tell you, he ran pretty good in the Jets game this past Sunday, and most of his scrambling around and what he did and making big plays were on the move. And I think that you've got to be able to move around and and uh, have the perimeter be something that the defense has to be uh, respecting. And right now, I don't think, and this is my opinion, of course, I haven't seen if they've made any changes in the spring, but Kennan is not going to run much because I'll, I'll tell you, they got to, though. Because if they don't, they're going to know where he is. And the same possible thing could happen to him that happened to JT Daniels and him last year. And you don't want that to happen. You've got to be able to slow down the rush. You've got to have screens. You've got to have jet screens. You've got to have counters. You have to have, and you've got to be able to run the football. If you watch college football, the running game is coming back. People forgot it for a while. But if you watch Iowa State and you watch other teams this weekend or watch Alabama play, in the Alabama game, they couldn't run the ball in the first half, so in the second half, Nick Saban just told Steve Sarkeesian, you're going to run the football. Yeah, we'll throw the football, but we're going to learn to run the football because we can't win without running the football. And Iowa State, when they needed two first downs to win their football game this week against Oklahoma, they lined up, ran six straight plays, got two first downs. Oklahoma burned all their timeouts, and they were able to win the football game. So you've got to be able to have that type of running game in your offense. And I hope that USC is doing that as far as short yardage offense, go under center, quarterback sneaks, things like that that put you at an equal type of position with your defense. So uh, I hope that type of happen, that things happen. And they've got, I think, running backs that can run the football. And they've got to help their offensive line. Their offensive line is one of the most important things that I think they have to develop, especially with the loss of Tucker. And you've got to be able to help them with the running game, draw screens, and so on to keep the defense off off balance. So those are the things that concern me now regarding the offense. Yeah, I would say for USC's defense with Todd Orlando, you want a positive sign? Uh, it doesn't appear to be that the Todd Orlando was the problem in Texas. I mean – they gave up 56 points to Texas Tech uh, you know, last week, and uh, that was an overtime win. They win 63-56. But Texas ends up giving up 33 to TCU over the weekend and losing uh, that game. So it seemed like Todd Orlando being fired was a bit of a scapegoat move by Tom Herman, and uh, it's not like the defense has got significantly better uh, since then, giving up a whole bunch of points. So I think that's a positive sign. I think, like Coach said, he's faced a lot of mobile quarterbacks before so it's not going to be like a foreign concept to him and uh Jane Daniels really wasn't available most of the game for USC uh Arizona State last year um you know you expect him to be fully healthy going into this one and that could be a, a really interesting game for sure but he's just a young dynamic you know the highest rated quarterback that Arizona State had ever recruited uh they really are going to rally behind uh Jane Daniels so if he's in there it's going to put a lot of pressure on this USC defense. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I, I think there's some positive aspects to, you know, what was going, watch what's happening in Texas now without Tom Herman. I mean, without uh, uh, Todd Orlando, uh, it's, it doesn't seem like he was the problem and they've just fixed the defense by having, you know, firing him. No, and you're right, Ryan. He worked against Sam Ellinger every week. Okay. In practice, he's a pretty good athletic, big, strong running uh, option type of quarterback and thrower. So it's not like, he hasn't seen this before, so I think it's uh, for the opening game. I, I think it'll be uh, uh, something that he's seen before, and he can put a, uh, a game plan together. But Daniels is a threat. Remember, they beat Oregon last year, so 
they're a heck of a football team, and Herm Edwards is a heck of a motivator. So they'll bring their game, and you got to bring your game and bring your lunch bag because if it's going to be an all-day slugfest, you might not want a snack at halftime. So, you know, it's going to be one of those type of games that I really look forward to. Yeah. Don't uh, don't sleep in on November 7th, early game for USC. <laughs> uh, here we got another voicemail for you, Coach. Hello. Uh, this is A.G., a uh, 1959 USC Trojan alumnus. I strongly believe that one more game is needed to make USC's football six-game half season at least a tiny bit more meaningful. It should be squeezed in somewhere. If our southern neighbor, San Diego State, can play an eight-game schedule in the Mountain West League, it would behoove the U.S. Athletic Department to add at least one additional game to the supposedly more prestigious Pac-12. Thank you. Well, uh, I agree with you. I, I really thought, and you've heard me on our podcast as far as last week and the week before, that I don't think we did one a week before, but last week, talk about, uh, I thought they could have started on the 31st. I really do. I mean, they, they have enough time to get started. They're not even going to be on the field until Friday. I mean, golly, what are we talking about? Let's get started. What are you going to do all this period of time as far as getting your team ready to play? It's time to go out there. Your team's ready to play. They haven't played football since last spring, one day of practice in pads or helmets. My goodness, get them ready to go. Get out there. They should be in shape. They've been told to stay in shape and start practicing and, and have a game. I even think they could have even played the 24th. Let's all push it. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, but no question in my mind they should have had a game on the 31st. I really believe that. Uh, for some reason, they didn't. They've got everything in place to have that game, uh, but they didn't do that. So uh, uh, take that to the commissioner, take that to the athletic directors, college presidents, or whatever, and they could probably answer that better. And uh, I know one thing, the, the football coaches are very quiet about everything. You don't hear any comments from Clay Elton, anybody in the conference as far as saying about the schedule or anything. It's almost like uh, the FBI needs to get involved to get any type of information on what's going on. But uh, right now, all we know is they start on October the 9th. We don't know what time they practice. We don't know if the media is going to be involved. I hope they are. I think the media is going to be able to go to the, the games as far as the press box. At least I hope so. But it's still like they're making a lot of decisions and uh, I'll tell you, they're a month away still, or five weeks away from playing a football game. So, my gosh, how would you feel if you're a kid sitting back watching everybody play on Saturday and you still are practicing? I mean, to me, that's discouraging. I don't know. Maybe you feel differently. No, I don't. I think it's those two weeks are going to be really difficult. Um, it's already been difficult to see games. And now that the SEC has two weeks in, you're going to get some good matchups uh, week after week. You're seeing some cool upsets, you know, Texas going down. We saw Oklahoma go down. Um, I, I feel like it, that's tough. But once the Big Ten gets involved, and even the Mountain West coach, do you want to see San Diego State playing some football or Fresno State, like teams that are like in your region uh, and you're not playing, I think the players are going to get really antsy. And that's going to even, you know, impact preparing for that first 9 a.m. game for USC because I think there's going to be a couple-week period of watching other people play, getting really antsy about what you want to get going and uh, you know getting the season going, but you still have to be focused and you still have to execute. And you know, waiting that long to play and watching all your your you know uh, compatriots play everywhere else, I, I think that's going to be tough on these players. No, I know it is. I know it is as far as watching them play and. And already uh, the commissioner has gone to the other commissioners and asked to make it an eight-game playoffs. And they, they said, uh, uh, I know what they said. I won't say it on the air. But we're not sh sharing the revenue with you. You're going to play seven games, and we're going to share the revenue with you as far as the big money that comes out of the championship uh, football playoffs. Uh, ridiculous. So, uh, you know, at least he tried. But I, I think they probably laughed behind his back when they asked him that. So. We'll see what happens with that. So I really think sometimes the Pac-12 hurts itself. Of course, this time the uh, the California, uh, you know, 
problems with the counties and practicing and so on wasn't something that was easy to surmise and get done. But I think they sure could have started their practice and they sure could have had games earlier as far as making a an opportunity for the kids to play, coach, and also get additional revenue. Yeah. Uh, all right, coach, you got, uh, let's see, we got one last question for you and we'll let you go. Um, this is from Frank in Sacramento. JT is screwed is the subject. JT has been passed up by a third stringer. I'm, confidence, I'm confident he should have left, but he picked the wrong school to head to. Uh, Frank in Sacramento, Georgia ends up getting a big win over Auburn uh, over the weekend, but uh, no JT Daniels, even though he was cleared. We heard from Bruce Feldman before the game saying he didn't expect to see him play. And to be my thoughts real quick, I think a lot of it was just not even being able to be cleared, medically cleared before the first game in a delayed start to the season. No matter where he went, he was going to be behind. So you're behind in a place like Georgia that has a playoff caliber roster. It's going to be hard to, to make things up. We'll see if Georgia gets into some tougher games and he gets an opportunity, but um, you know, not being ready to go. And earlier on a month or two ago, he only got cleared by the you know second week. Um, I think that was more of an issue than he went to the wrong place. Cause they have a roster. I mean, it, you know, he's, it's like, you know, you got a former walk-on that was playing well. If if JT Daniel was healthy, he probably would have won the job. But uh, you got this walk-on have an opportunity to play well. He's been doing pretty good. And uh, for now, he's going to be the guy. Well, Stetson's going to be the guy. And he played well, and he's willing to – he didn't back away. He walked on there. I know he has a lot of respect from Kirby Smart to do that. He went back to junior college, came back, competed and won the job. And I think he's a competitor and I thought he played well. Uh, one thing that JT has to know, he has to compete. I don't know if he left USC because of the competition or why he left, but I think if he stayed at USC, he might've been medically healthy, healthy when they started practice and he wouldn't have been better off staying here because they, he hadn't done much down there anyway. And, uh, more or less people are saying who, I said that when he left. You can't sit around and think about players you don't have. You have to move on. But, you know, it was a big uh, change for him moving down there uh, in a different area. Those players down there had never heard of JT Daniels. And, uh, you know, they're not intimidated. And playing in the Southeastern Conference, I'm telling you, that's a fast game. And, you know, he isn't that mobile. And if you can't run or get around and you're tough, toughly put together, hey, you're going to get smacked if you watch him play. So, I'm not wishing any bad luck, bad luck to the kid, but he should have stuck it out where he started here in Southern California, where he's recognized people appreciate who he was. They all know he got hurt in the first game. Nobody, everybody felt bad about that. Kendon happened to come on and play well. Well, that could happen the first week uh, for Kendon. And not only that, now he would have been ready to start November the 7th in practice, or in the game before that, he'd be ready to practice this uh, Friday and be ready to compete. And his players would respect him. And they would know exactly what he's been through. And if he's given the opportunity to play, he's ready to play and knows the offense and, and knows the kids and all of the above. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that was a smart move when he moved. And I told you that at the beginning. And uh, I, I feel sorry for him. I really feel sorry for him because he's a Southern California kid that's made his name in Southern California, went to a great school at USC, and just bailed. And I'm not sure that was the right thing to do. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously you want to wish him well. I was looking forward to watching that game over the weekend, hoping that JT Daniels was going to uh, get in, but he hasn't. Um, so we'll see. We'll follow like along with the season um, if he's able to get in there. But, you know, Keaton Slovis obviously took over and has done amazing. And I, I think, you know, for USC, that's your best shot. You got Keaton Slovis. You got great wide receivers, great running backs some question stuff on the offensive line. I don't think USC has to look back. It just would help with the depth if JT Daniels was there. And I thought it'd been better for him to kind of prove, you know, he could have brought that knee along slowly and kind of prove himself in mop up duty. Now it turns out there wasn't going to be a whole lot of mop up duty. Cause you only have, um, you know, the, the, the six or seven games. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see if he is able to get in there or if he just sits out the whole season. I, we don't know at this point, but him not being ready to go, uh, you know, physically, that was going to be an issue almost anywhere he went. But like you said, coach, if he wasn't ready to go physically, he'd probably been better off just staying at USC, especially now with the really delayed season. 
I agree with that. And, uh, you know, he's, he, I don't know if he's planning on living in Georgia, but, you know, he has a name recognition here in Southern California, and uh, he'll want to play in the NFL. But if that doesn't happen as far as playing in the NFL, people will know who he is. He's a kid that was loyal to USC. He stayed at USC. He was unfortunately hurt in the first game at USC. He stayed there. He competed. And, and who knows what could have happened. He could be the starter after the second game next year or this year. So who knows? I just hate to see kids move. I hate to see kids, this transferring that's going on. But you see it everywhere. When you watch games on Saturday, the announcers are saying, he played at Temple last year. He played at Illinois last year. Last year he played at Maryland. Well, you see it going on everywhere. But, uh, yeah, you know, I sort of think USC is a special opportunity for kids as far as wanting to go there, get an education, and, and uh, be a part of a great program and great tradition. And he's a good kid that had great success here. The offense is built for him. The offense isn't built for him at Georgia. They run the football, and if you watch the offensive line, they lost all their offensive line to the NFL last year, so it's a very uh, dangerous spot as far as being behind the quarterback and uh, and uh, and uh, take those hits that they give you in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. Hey, Coach, anything, any last thoughts before uh, we let you go? No, I just uh, am looking forward to everything. I appreciate your Curtis, it's great to hear your voice and everyone else out there. And remember, we just give you our opinion, and we're excited about college football as you are. Yeah, we are definitely are, and I'm, we'll be able to do some previews and all kinds of stuff. We're actually getting football back, so I'm very excited uh, for that. So that's the coach, Harvey Hyde. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.